Many of you know that twice a year I go up and teach at the Kennecuck Institute up in Branson, Missouri, and one of, the, one of the fun things about doing that is not just the teaching, but then when one of the young guys drives me back to the airport in, in Springfield, Missouri, because he'll always grab a buddy or two, and um, it's always kind of the questions after the questions, because as I'm teaching during the week, I'll stop and, hey, anybody got any questions? We'll get questions, and then... But that drive to the airport is always the questions after the questions. And it's sometimes some of the deepest questions that I'll get asked that they were afraid maybe to ask during those broad Q&As. A couple of weeks ago, um, three of the guys were driving me back to the airport. And, and these are young men that are essentially right out of college and they go to Branson, Missouri for a year of Bible, theology, ministry training. But one of the young men said, he said, Mitch, you've been coming to the Canicook Institute now for 16 years, right? And I said, yeah, I think that's about right. He said, you've, you know, if there was one thing, if there was one thing that you would say to us, to we three young guys, what would it be? And I, I, you can think about how you would answer it, and maybe you'll agree with my answer or not. But I quickly went into my head what Prof. Howard Hendricks at Dallas Seminary would always tell us, that a life well lived is hammered out on on an anvil of three decisions, your master, your mission, and your mate. And I quickly went, okay, these guys are in the Canicook Institute, so I think they've chosen their master. If if they were not Christians, I, I think I would have easily said the most important decision you guys could ever make is to turn your life over to Jesus Christ. But I figured they'd already done that. And I quickly knew that for the last three days, I had been laboring with them in the book of Acts to to give their life for Christ, to serve Him. That no matter what they went to do to make a living, live for Christ. And so, Master was taken care of. I felt like mission. I had been on them for three days about that. And so, mate, I thought, okay, I'll go with that one. Find you a sweet girl, marry her, and then love her until death. I said, boys, Solomon said, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. And I said, guys, you got to realize there is no amount of success, because they'd been telling me what they were studying, what they studied in college, and what they were hoping to do, and I said, There is no amount of success you will have out there in life. You can go make you a million bucks a year. And you can buy all the fun toys you've ever dreamed of buying. And you can take all the extravagant hunting trips and excursions that you've ever dreamed of taking. There's no amount of success out there that will overcome the pain of a troubled, heartbroken marriage. And I said the flip side is true. There's no amount of pain. There's no amount of heartache that you'll go through out there that can overcome the joy of coming home to, a, in your case, a, a wife who loves you and that you love. You can lose your job. You can make decisions that people might not agree with. And 
You can get cancer. There's, there's no amount of pain out there that can overcome the joy. You can go through anything if you come home to that sweet wife, to that loving husband. We want to help build strong marriages here at Redeemer. And listen, I realize not all of you are married. Some of you want to be. Some of you have been. Some of you are widowed. I know that. We want to minister to you as God gives us opportunity, but we also want to build strong marriages. We want to come alongside husbands and wives and help where we can. And so, starting on February 6th, student ministry meets. Team Kids is going to meet. And then we're going to have a handful of things that adults can choose from. One of those things is the regen ministry that we talked a lot about last week. Another one of those things is prayer that I hope many of you will be a part of. If you say, you know what, regen may not be for me and you know, I'm not so sure marriage and, and family, that class may not be for me. Would you come and pray? We'll talk about that next Sunday together. But we're also offering our English, English as second language classes. Those have been going on, and they're going to continue to go on on those Wednesday nights. And then we're also going to have this class called Faith and Family Matters. I'll be kind of directing the one and leading the one in English, and Antonio will be doing the same for another in Spanish. I'll be doing some of the teaching, but not all of the teaching but the vision of the class, Faith and Family Matters, is to spend a bit of time on faith. I'm even talking with one of the guys in our church now about taking a little bit of time each Wednesday night and just focusing in on some of the big ideas of the Christian life. Some of the, the key doctrines that are important for somebody who just came to faith today or somebody who's been walking with Jesus for a long time. We'll spend a little bit of time on that, and then we'll spend most of our time on things like marriage and parenting and finances in the home and those kinds of things. And so to whet your appetite for that and maybe encourage you to come, I'd like you to look at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. If you're familiar with the New Testament, you're probably familiar with this passage of Scripture. It's one of the most famous addressing marriage and even a bit on parenting. Ephesians chapter 5. We're not going to do a verse-by-verse -verse exposition, but hopefully there will be enough here to um, even call us to greater things this morning, and again, whet your appetite for some Wednesday nights. So in Ephesians chapter 5, I want to set the context of this both before and after chapter 5. Ephesians is written by the Apostle Paul to the church there in Ephesus. It's six chapters long, and it is famous for chapters 1, 2, and 3, our calling, 
Chapters 4, 5, and 6, our conduct. Uh, Chapters 1, 2, and 3, doctrine. Chapters 4, 5, and 6, if you will, duty. Uh, Chapters 1, 2, and 3, belief. Chapters 4, 5, and 6, behavior. Because God has done this for us in Christ Jesus, live like this. And maybe it's one of the more famous conjunctions in the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, therefore, in light of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, through His Holy Spirit, in light of who we are as His people, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. And that little word, walk, becomes key throughout the rest of the book. It shows up five times in the New Test- or in chapters 4, 5, and 6. Uh, some of your translations translate it differently here and there, but the New American Standard translates it the same every time. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. And so this is the walk of the Christian, chapters 4, 5, and 6. So that's a little bit of the context beforehand. What Paul is about to say to wives and to husbands, and in particular to fathers, is in the context of this is a life walking in a manner worthy of the gospel. Now the context behind it in chapter 6, verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore. Walk. Walk, 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 stand firm. Because this Christian life is lived out in the context of spiritual forces that want to take us out. Satan would love nothing more than to destroy your marriage and mine. And he would love nothing more than to cause friction and division between parents and their children. He would love it. He's after your marriage. He's after mine. He's after our families. And so the context is God has been so gracious to us through His Son Jesus and the Holy Spirit informed us into His people Now let's walk in it. And part of that walk is marriage and family. And we live it out in the midst of spiritual forces that want to take us down. So in verse 22 and following, he gives instructions for wives. You see there in verse 22. Instructions for husbands starting in verse 25. 
He sums it up in verse 33 for husbands and wives. In chapter 6, verse 1, children. And in chapter 4, fathers. Instructions for wives deals with a key response of, here's the S word, you know, you got to talk about the S word, submission. I'm going to say it now, we'll say it again. This is not a wife's core role. This is a key response that a wife gives to her husband. We'll talk about her role maybe in a second. But here's what I want to say about this. We are not going to untie the knot, if you will, of biblical submission this morning. We're not even going to unpack it. But it's certainly something that we're going to talk about on Wednesday nights. It is a key response of a wife to her husband. We need to understand what it means. Briefly, a willingness to, to yield, an inclination to follow. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the Savior of the body, but as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. That's the kind of stuff that can get you in trouble as a preacher. But we're going to tackle it. We're going to talk about it on Wednesday nights. We then get some instructions for the husband. First of all, before he even addressed them directly in verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. This is, it seems to me and to others, the core role for a husband. He is the head of his wife and his family. What does that mean? What does it mean that I am the head of my wife, Tara? And by extension, it's the head of my family over my girls. Does that mean I'm the boss? Does that mean I'm the king? Does that mean I can do what I want? What does it mean that a husband is the head of his wife. This passage doesn't get into what that key role of the wife is. We'll, we'll take a look at some other scripture, but maybe to give a little bit of a hint, it begins with help and ends with er. Helper. The husband is the head. The wife is the helper. It's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. What does it mean for the husband to be the head? 
I like to use the phrase servant leader. What does it mean for the wife to be the helper? I like the phrase servant lover. What do these roles mean and how, how do they play out and how do they work together in what we might call, what we do call, biblical complementarianism? And so the husband is called the head of his wife. There's his essential role. But we also see strong command to the husband in it's more than a key response. It is, well, let's just call it the command. Mitch, you're the head, you're the head of your wife, Tara. You're the servant leader. Great. One word. One command for you. There's more than this. But if there were one, husband's Love your wives. It's going to show up three times. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also love their own wives as their own bodies. He actually shows up for it. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. Christ is the head of the church. The church is his body. And what does Christ our head do? He loves us. He does not hate us. He nourishes us and cherishes us. And thus husbands are to take their cue from Christ, who is the head of the church as the head of our wives, to love, not hate, to nourish and cherish For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Just as Christ is the head and we are his body, so a husband is the head and he is joined to his wife. They are one flesh. And a, hus and a, and a man never hates his own body. He nourishes his body and cherishes his body. At least ideally, Right? And thus, so should a husband to his wife. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Head, servant leader. Helper, servant lover. Love, submission. And more. What do these things mean and how do they practically play out? We'll talk about those kinds of things and much more on Friday, on Wednesday nights. Get a little bit more here. 
children. Now, we won't have the children with us on those Wednesday nights, but Lauren will and Craig and his team will, the students. But let's just read it and memorize this so we can quote it to our kids when we get home, right? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Our children need to be taught this. Verse 4, fathers. So not just marriage, but also parenting. And we might note that he doesn't mention the mothers. Not exactly sure why that, why that is so. It may well be it's just assumed. It's just assumed that mamas are providing that care to the children moment by moment when they're little consistently as they're growing we know that Paul loves loves absolutely loves the role of mamas from 1 Timothy chapter 2 and from Titus chapter 3 I want the older women to teach the younger women to love their husbands to love their children that's one of the key verses why we might define the helper as a servant lover. I want the older women to teach the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children. Nobody loves like a wife loves. Nobody loves like a mama loves. That's why when we got stung by a bee, we ran home, Mama! Because Daddy would have just stuck his foot out and said, get on back out. Mama loves. Maybe Paul is assuming. But maybe and probably he's also elevating, reminding, taking the men, the fathers, by the lapels, if they had lapels in those days. Fathers, Number one, don't provoke your children to anger. It's interesting. In the parallel passage in Colossians 3, it's a little bit different language, but the same thing. Fathers, do not exacerbate, exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. There can be a tendency among fathers to provoke their children to anger on one side of the spectrum or the other. One side of the spectrum might be that the very passive, what you might call an absent father. He may have even been there physically, but just emotionally was just checked out. Just real passive in his relationship towards his children. Kind of ceded that over to mom. And just kind of let her take care of all of that. And so the, the passivity, the silent dad, the the dad who may have been there but was not engaged emotionally and spiritually in the life of his child, that that can in ways provoke a child to anger. 
know it for a fact that some of you look back to a dad who either wasn't there at all or he was there but not. And it... On the other spectrum is the heavy-handed dad, overbearing, tyrant, nagging, demeaning, iron-fisted, pushing, 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 never able to please kind of dad. Oh, he was there. He was there with a strong, nagging, 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 and sometimes even so sad physically. Don't provoke your children to anger. It it seems Paul is calling for a middle road of the engaged dad. Not absent, but not overbearing, but an engaged dad who brings them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Dads are awesome. Dads are a gift from God. And I don't care how much our culture rips on them. Dads are awesome. And dads have more power than we know in the lives of our children. So Paul is grabbing us and saying, come on, fellas. Lifting us up and cheering us on and encouraging us to go for it with our kids. We have begun to talk about in a recent year or so. We want to do more and part of what Wednesday nights will be about and probably other things in, Lord willing, coming months and years is helping parents. Dad, we bear the primary responsibility, but I know there are some of you out there where you're a single mom, and so he's, we get that too, and we want to come alongside and help you, but daddies, we bear the primary responsibility for the discipleship of our children. It's right there. So the church family, we want to help. And we want to do more. That's why for the first time in 10 years, we have now a full-time kids director. We are so thrilled about Lauren. And we're thrilled about the changes that she wants to make in the first hour. And she came on, and she was here a week. And she said, hey, can we start something on Wednesday night for the kids? Yeah. You're up for that. I'm up for that. You think you can get some people to help? I don't know, but we can try. So she's off and running, and she wants to take our kiddos, and she wants to teach them and get you involved to teach them. It's great. It is not Lauren's responsibility to disciple and be the primary disciple maker for my little Maddie, 7 years old, my Molly, 10 years old, and Macy in student ministry. It's not Craig and his team's primary responsibility to disciple them in the ways of God. That one's me. And Tara, together as a as a head and as a helper. How do you do that, Mitch? I don't know. It ain't like we sit around and have family devotions every night. 
we do some things that are pretty good. But we want to talk about those kind of things on Wednesday nights too and learn from each other. So what do you guys do? Man, that's a great idea. Boy, that's simple. We could do that. Oh, I keep thinking it's this huge thing that I got to do. I didn't realize it could be so simple that little things really do make a big difference. We want to talk about those kinds of things. What does it mean for parents to be the primary disciple makers? What might it look like? How can we take some baby steps? So we want to equip you, me, us. We want to equip each other and encourage each other and empower each other as husbands, as wives, as dads, as moms. We want to, if you will, take up these family matters and take them all the way up. How does the great, great love of God through His Son, Jesus Christ, and the provision of His Holy Spirit and the instruction of His Word and the fellowship of His people, how does all of that come together and inform and empower husbands and wives and dads and moms. We want to encourage all of us to walk worthy of the gospel in a world, chapter 6, verse 10 and following, of forces arrayed against us. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. Think about this. Think about Martin Luther, a mighty fortress is our God. Think of it now in the context of marriages, parenting, family. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Meaning, in our own strength, we got a fight on our hands. On earth is not as equal. Then how's it go? I forget. We get the answer. It's Jesus, right? Um, Still our ancient foe doth seek to work us well. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not as equal. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age, the same. And he must win the battle. Amen? Amen. I'm reading a good book right now. It's called With. And I'm just a few chapters in, but already got the, the big idea and anxious to keep reading it. Talking about how so many times how we relate to God. He uses different prepositions to make his point. Um, one of them is the idea of living under God. And in some context, that's a, that's, that's a good thing, right? He is God, and, and so we live underneath him. But the picture he paints is, 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 is God is up there, and I'm down here, and 
I've got to keep the rules to keep him happy. Because he's, he's above and I'm below, and if I'll keep the rules, then good things will happen to me. If I, if I don't keep the rules, then bad things may happen to me. And That's not good, right? That's not good theology. To, be, to live under God in that way. Another one is that we might live above God. And that's, that's really the one who, who doesn't believe in God or um, wants to take his place as the sovereign. That's not a good place to be either. Um, another one is to live for God. And boy, that one sounds great. How many times have I called on us to live for God and for Christ and for His purposes? But the idea of it's almost like being out ahead of Him, doing things for Him. So to live under God, to live above God, to live for God. Forget the last one. But we get to the good one. Live with God. Our God is sovereign. We are down here. But what did He do? He came down. To live for us, to die for us, to rise for us in the person of his son. That we might what? Be forgiven. Yep. Be declared righteous. Yes. Be adopted into his family. Yes. To have his presence with us at all times? Yes. To be co-laborers with him? We're called that. Second Corinthians, we just looked at it on Friday morning with, with God. And working together with him. With him. Marriage, parenting, all of the Christian life is not lived above or below or it's with him. Ain't that good? Isn't that helpful? Oh man. What a privilege. If you're here today and you do not have a relationship with God, you don't know if your sins have been forgiven. You don't know if you've been declared righteous. You don't know if you've been adopted into his family. You don't know if his spirit resides in you and that, that he is with you. We want you to know that God is love. And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The forgiveness of sins and all of those good things and being united to God and adopted into his family it comes through his love and grace and mercy 
through the person of his son, Jesus, who lived and died and rose. And we, we believe in him. We trust in him. We don't trust in ourselves. We don't clean ourselves up. We don't hike our spiritual bootstraps. We say, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Christ is him. We take hold of him. If you've never done that, maybe today would be your day. What you do is you say, I'm sorry. Thank you. And please. I'm sorry for the sins that I've committed that have separated me from you. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to be my savior. To live, die, rise for me. Please. I want to trust in Jesus and I want, I want, I want to have a relationship with you. And I want to follow you. Would you please forgive me? Make me yours. Let's pray. Father, we pray for these Wednesday evenings that are coming. We pray for fruit. Oh, God, fruit in the lives of our kids, fruit in the lives of our students, fruit in our lives, the regen ministry, prayer, faith in family matters. Even, Lord, as we're reaching out to Spanish speakers who want to learn some English, we pray for fruit. People coming to know Jesus and lives being changed and marriages being strengthened and parents and kiddos and all the like. Would you so energize and so bless these efforts? God, if there's any marriages that are just hanging on by a thread, I pray that they would, they would not be silent about that, that they would get some help. They come, come visit with me or visit with somebody here. You can change us. You can heal marriages. Lord, if, if any of our friends here today have never turned to faith in Jesus, would you call them right now to yourself where they would see their sin and see your holiness but your love as well in Jesus Christ and they would put their faith in him. Lord, now as we're about to break and head out these doors, may our lives be eager to joyfully follow you and help others do the same. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.